This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So one of the great things about the many great things that I get to do is I get to talk to pastors a lot, especially within our diocesan movement, but throughout the country and throughout the world, I have these conversations. Here's one that I will never forget. It was a unique pastor-to-pastor conversation that I was having. We were in the middle part of the country of Nigeria, and this pastor was a pastor over a village, and he was standing in the village. I was there with him. The village had been burnt to the ground a month previous to this moment that we were having our conversation. And I was asking him about what had happened in this area and in the village that, over which he was a minister, a pastoral shepherd. And he explained to me that there had been other shepherds, literal shepherds, there are Bedouins, Fulani, who've been radicalized by Islamic jihadism in that area. And that the word had gotten out that they were planning attacks on villages in different parts of that area in Nigeria, particularly Christian villages, to show the force of their particular ideology. And he said, we had word that it was possible they might attack one morning. So all who could, who were able-bodied, got out as fast as they could. Now, you have to understand, he was saying to me, we don't have cars, we don't have trucks. There wasn't any way to get those who were not able-bodied out. And I began to realize that among some of the elderly, some of our nursing mothers with their infants, that were they to try to leave and move slowly, they would be even more vulnerable to the attack, even in the middle of the night. So I just said to him, what, what, what did you do? I, I couldn't believe I was having this conversation. He said, well, I did what any pastor would do. He said, I stayed. And that morning, he said, dozens of militants came over that hill, swept down and into this valley. By God's decision, I, I lived. But not everyone did. I stayed. I so wish he could give testimony this morning because if you could hear him, there wasn't one element of self-aware pastoral heroism from this brother. What an example of somebody who was willing to lay down their lives for the sheep. Absolutely. But there's more... I think to that story that is germane to our teaching from the Lord Jesus this morning. I'm struck by the contrast of shepherds. One group of shepherds seeking the destruction and the demise, while another shepherd doing all he could to care, especially for those who had the greatest challenges within his flock, his community, how, how he loved those sheep, how those sheep must love him. Do we face the same perils in our culture here? Not like that. But we face many perils. And there are false shepherds, some of them literally ordained in pastoral office who are false shepherds, and then many others who would position themselves to be your shepherd, to be your leader, to be your key influencer. 
And then there are true shepherds who are under the good shepherd. And the question I want to ask, and the question that's in the title of the sermon this morning, is who leads you? Who pastors you? Because there's a whole element, what is described in verse 10. So go and get your Bibles out as we look at this passage together. And we've got Bibles here. If you didn't bring a Bible, no worries. We've got Bibles under chairs. Get your Bible out. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, written by John, a follower of Jesus, one of his lead followers, John chapter 10. So get that out. Get that in front of you. Well, it wasn't read this morning, but verse 10, right previous to verse 11 that was read this morning, describes for us the other element that would like to shepherd you. Here, Jesus describes him as a thief. He will then describe him in a few verses as a wolf, other places he described as the enemy or Satan. This is the reality of the devil and his forces that surround him. And they are out to actually shepherd you. They would like to lead and guide you through their life. They're in for you, while not apparent at first, will be what Jesus says there in verse 10 of chapter 10. The aim of this false shepherd, this hired hand of all hired hands, is actually destruction, lying, confusion, distraction, and even death. So perhaps as you take a look at this scripture passage, the story that I tell, while maybe not consonant with our entire lived experience physically, is deeply consonant with our entire lived experience spiritually. And there's much at stake as to who it is that you will have shepherd you through this life. So here's Jesus' work. Here's how he does this. So first he'll teach on he is the good shepherd. He does this in verse 11. I should double check then. Because you're looking at your Bible. Verses 14 and 15. So there's two places where he'll teach on being the good shepherd. Verse 11 and verses 14 and 15. And in both cases, he'll define what good shepherd means. Set in between his teaching on good shepherd is an excursus or a, a section on hired hands. This is very intentional on Jesus' part. He's drawing from Ezekiel chapter 34. He knew this, this teaching very well that was read for us this morning about those shepherds who are not shepherds at all. And he's speaking to the fact and drawing a dichotomy that there will be true shepherds, the great shepherd, Jesus himself, but then those who follow him, this is implied, and those who do not. So this morning we see him teach, one, trust the good shepherd, Jesus himself. But second, and an application of how you trust the good shepherd is you must find those good shepherds, those good pastors, those pastoral leaders, those priests that you can trust to help guide you through this life under the power and the authority of Jesus, the good shepherd. Trust the good shepherd. Trust his good shepherds. All right, let's look at this together. So he states, after he brings the clarity in verse 10, there's a thief stealing, killing, and destroying. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. He's now going to provide more specificity. He's going to take us into greater and greater clarity around the revelation. He says, I am. Stop right there. Stop, stop right there in your reading. I am. Okay, for those of you that may know the Bible, you actually know to stop right there and you go, okay, this is actually a very important Bible phrase. But for those of you who are learning the Bible, those of you who may be joining us 
Um, on live stream, this may, not, this may not jump out at you. It's important that it does. You need to understand that this is the key way that God has revealed himself to his people. So when he's forming a nation, the nation of Israel, in Exodus chapter 33, and he's giving them a charter, they want to understand who this God is. And Moses is, is God's mediator. He, he's the one that's ministering who God is to the people. And Moses says, what do I tell them about you? This is one of the most important moments in the entire Bible. What is God going to say when Moses says, what do I tell them about you? And so what God says, I am that I am. Tell them, he continues, I am sent you. I am. I am him who is. I am the being. I am the central reality. I am life. I am being. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and life. All that is captured in the I am. This is the name of God. And Jesus now, the rabbi from Nazareth, is utterly and clearly, unequivocally, and controversially, but with great truth and fidelity in the scriptures, associating himself with that I am. And if you're an Israelite that knew the scriptures, you knew exactly what he was doing. He said early in the Gospel of John, before Abraham was, the great Abraham, I am. This is what rocked them. This is God himself in our midst. Could it be? I am. Seven times in the Gospel of John, he will give an I am, Yahweh, in the Hebrew. I am statement. I am. Okay. I am is here. I am is speaking to me with a mouth, a beard. Okay. Who is I am? I am good. That word in the original Greek would be beautiful. That's beautiful. I am, I am the beautiful shepherd. Another word would be noble. Be within the synonymous sort of cluster of that word, I am noble. I am praiseworthy. Those are all part of the, the word he uses when he says good. I am the beautiful shepherd. Isn't that what we need? I mean, do you not, after these last 13 months, feel like sheep scattered at times? Doesn't your mind feel like a scattered mind and a scattered heart? See, we, we need a beautiful shepherd who realizes how ugly, twisted our own heart that around us can be. I'm the beautiful shepherd. I will lead you into the beauty of the things of God. I'll shepherd you into goodness. I'll shepherd you into beauty. That's what he's saying. I am the good shepherd. He continues to define it, though, you all, right? Look at that in your Bibles. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Now, his listeners understood shepherds. They may love King David. David is central in the pantheon of those who have led Israel. He was a shepherd before he was a king. They know that. Now, David was a shepherd who protected he didn't quite go as far as to lay down his own life. Indeed, he has some bad moments where he lays down others' lives, of which he repents. But a good shepherd not only protects sheep, but actually lays down his life for the sheep. Now we're at a whole other level of the revelation of the love of God. Jesus laid down his life for you, for me. 
It's very personal. Yes, it's cosmic. He laid his on his life for the world. But here in the shepherding metaphor, the shepherding revelation, it's highly personal to you. You carry in you, if you are a follower of Jesus and you receive Jesus into your heart, his laying himself down for you. I got to be present at um, a person's conversion. I've been present at several people's conversions. It's, it's awesome. I, I, I pray you've had that opportunity. If you haven't, ask God for that opportunity to be present at somebody's conversion. It's, it, it, it's a prayer he'll answer. And email me and let me know what happened. I was present at somebody's conversion. As a young man, it's interesting because he talked to friends and said, I need somebody who can talk to me about God. He, he wanted pastoring. He wasn't a follower of Jesus, but he wanted pastoring. He was coming out of a season of darkness. He had known another kind of false shepherd. He came to me and said, could you talk to me about God? Could you tell me, my friends who follow Jesus, call them, they, they say they want to be a man of God. What is a man of God? What, is, what does all that mean? And I said, sure, I'd love to talk to you about that. And I took him to the Bible, and we looked at the Gospel of John together, and we talked about Jesus. And he was just taking it in, taking it in. There was, there was an unbelievable hunger. And I said, you know, maybe we should just pray right now. Maybe I could just pray for you right now. He said, well, please, please pray for me. I put my hand on the shoulder, and I just said, let's just get quiet. I, I didn't want to force this. The Spirit of God was moving, and I just prayed for him silently. And that young man in that prayer time pushed back like this. Like, Are you okay? I said. He has his eyes closed still. You wouldn't believe what I'm seeing right now. Well, Ryan, tell me what you're seeing. I could see Jesus on the cross. He did not have a biblical background or imagination. I could see Jesus on the cross. He's looking directly at me, Stuart. His eyes to my eyes. He's saying, I died for you, Ryan. That personal. That direct. Now, it could be that you came, maybe came out of a Christian background where everything was about personal relationship with Jesus, and you're thinking, oh, Anglicanism, they have a liturgy. Uh, you know, it, maybe this is going to like, you know, dilute a little bit this whole personal relationship pressure thing, personal relationship with Jesus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I have great news for you. It doesn't. As a matter of fact, at the heart of our service every week, the priest will say one of two things when he offers the presence of our Lord in the Eucharist. The one thing that he will often say is the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance. Right? Many of you know this that Christ died for you, you, a beautiful death from a beautiful shepherd who wants to lead you into the beautiful things of the kingdom of God. Okay, now he'll continue this, and I think he's building, so we, we get the hired hand section, right, then look at your Bible. Um, verses 14 to 15, he goes back to I am the good shepherd. He's going to repeat himself. He's going to provide even greater revelation. I am the good shepherd. He's laid down his life for the sheep. Because he lays down his life for the sheep, because he's died on the cross, then he's going to teach us even more. What does that mean? It means that he knows us and that we can know him. It means that the veil, the reality of our sinful nature that has kept us from seeing the Lord, it kept us from knowing the Lord, the reality of our twistedness and our rebellion, and the profundity of our sin has been met by Jesus' death. He's taken our sin in his death on the cross. We, we worked on this together on Good Friday. We've died with Jesus that we might rise with him. And when we rise with him, 
He knows us, and we know him. He is saying that because I've died for you, you can now be very close to me. If I say to you, Jesus loves you, you're like, oh, I know that. I appreciate that. Thank you. That's, but it does, just doesn't go that deep, but thanks for saying it. But perhaps if I say, Jesus loves to be close to you, perhaps that can go in a different place in your heart. He loves to be close to you. When he says good shepherd, here's the understanding people would have had of shepherds is that shepherds were by necessity very close to their sheep. That's where they spent their time if they were a shepherd. They're all about their sheep. There's a wonderful research project an Old Testament scholar, Dr. Timothy Laniak, did. He's very interested in ancient Near Eastern customs, so he went uh, to, to the current Middle East to study current-day shepherds. And he got to know one shepherd. Uh, this gentleman's name was Abu Laniak. Uh, excuse me, that's his last name, Abu Manir. Abu Manir was a very successful shepherd. He had 2,000 sheep. He was a mega shepherd. He was very wealthy. Many homes, many riches. So Dr. Laniak said, so how do you interact with your sheep when you have all the wealth that you have? He said, oh, quote, I'm with the sheep every day. In the summer, he says, I sleep outside with them too. If I weren't with them every day, I wouldn't be their shepherd. Every day. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, I know you, and you can know me, he's talking about every day. That's another level in following Jesus. So some of you may know the Lord Jesus. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, then I highly, highly call you to open your heart to him, the good shepherd, as, as Ryan did in the story I just told. But if you know the Lord Jesus, then for many of us, the next step is to move into an every day and every hour relationship with the Lord Jesus which is what he's looking for as your good shepherd. It's an everyday thing. There's another uh, shepherd that he uh, researched. She was 100 years old, a 100-year-old shepherdess. And this is what she said. Now, she had, to, she, had to, she had to cut down her sheep from 2,000. She was too old for 2,000. So she had a small, small group of sheep. She said this, quote, I cannot live without them. They are family. Could you take a, just a quick little gospel flight of fancy? Isn't it kind of fun to imagine, I don't know, Deacon Val as a hundred-year-old shepherdess? <laughs> right? I mean, isn't that awesome? I mean, Deacon Val, think, think about this. Just, I mean, can't you imagine her saying, well, I, I can't do transformation intensive at the number I've been doing them, but I can't live without my sheep. That's what her heart is like. That's what transformation and teaches you, by the way. Transformation intensive teaches you every day closest with Jesus. Ignatius of Loyola, 16th century thinker and, and follower of Jesus, helped many to learn how to live every day with Jesus. That's what he's wanting as your good shepherd. But he wants to give you more than that, too. He actually recognizes that these realities have to be embodied in his incarnation as they are, but they must be embodied in other people as well. And so he starts by creating a contrast, okay? So he will be our good shepherd, but he wants to give us good shepherds. So now comes the part where I want to apply this to us, and I want to continue to ask you the question, are you really clear who's shepherding you and how they're shepherding you? 
Because this is very important to Jesus. He wants to, first of all, create the contrast. There are hired hands, he says, verses 12 to 13. They don't really care for the sheep. They're, they're, they're in it for gain, and that's proven when there's an attack, and there'll always be attack on sheep. And there'll always be attack on the church. And there's always going to be attacks on you as you seek to follow Jesus. Always, regularly, specifically, vociferously. So not that, it's not that will the attacks come. It's what kind of shepherds are in place when the attacks come. The attack will come, and the hired hand runs, and the wolf, the enemy, the devil, snatches them, verse 12, and scatters them. He flees. He's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. Okay, what's happening here? There's a contrast here that Jesus is creating. In part, he is speaking to some of the Pharisees he'd been interacting with just before this passage. And he's saying some of the religious leaders, now not all of them, we need to know our Bibles well to know that there were some religious leaders among the Jewish leaders that wanted to be a follower of Jesus. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, but others who were like hired hands. He's saying, you can't trust all of them. They won't guide and shepherd you to my father. So he's creating a, an immediate concern there. But he's saying to all of us throughout the ages, you need to find good shepherds and you need to be aware and beware of hired hands. And this really gets to a barrier and maybe three barriers that all of us have to following pastors. One of the key applications here is how much we need pastors, but we have barriers to following pastors. The first barrier is this. There are some pastors who it is revealed in time are actually hired hands. They're false shepherds. They don't teach the scriptures as the church has received them. That's a false shepherd. Be aware of them. You know your Bible. Learn your Bible. And know we're not being taught the Bible. That's a shepherd you can't trust. They will do so for gain. Their own sexual gain. Their own financial gain. It has cut me to see over the last several years in our own Chicagoland area. And by the way, evangelicals and Roman Catholicism share this. Pastors, priests who have been hired hands. And it's very likely you're aware of that. It's very possible that some of you have suffered at the hands of hired hands. Violation or abuse. Not being taught God's word. Not being ministered Holy Communion. Not, not being shepherded and cared for as you should be. That's a barrier. Another barrier that can exist is that one of the greatest false shepherds that I see active now, and follow me on this because it's a bit complicated, but I think it's important, is our own self. The rise, the ascendancy of the power of our own selves, of our own selves to lead us and to guide us, for our own selves to be our main discernment dialogue partners. We talk about it with ourselves. We sort of do all of what we want to do, and it can become very complex. And if you're really good at this, like I can be with my own sin nature, I can rationalize many things to myself as I lead myself. But the main false shepherd that I'm concerned about as a pastor is people's own selves. And the profound isolation and the understanding that somehow we can actualize ourselves and live in an autonomy of self that it actually allows us to be our own hired hands. And the reason that's so dangerous is because the sin nature is so profound. And while we can live in greater and greater freedom because Jesus did lay down his life for us, we're on a constant life journey of overcoming the reality of our sin nature and living into Jesus' fullness and divine nature. And it's a process and it's a journey and needs a shepherd outside of yourself. Beware any who would follow themselves. 
Beware your own self. Beware at times your own gut. Beware at times your own thinking. I'm not saying utterly distrust everything that happens in your heart or your mind, but I'm saying test it. And I'm saying be aware of the profundity of your sin nature. We confess our sins every week together. If you read the prayer book, it's every day because of this profundity. Another barrier to getting you under true shepherds is the false shepherding that you may be receiving from your own mind and your own heart. Third barrier is 13 months into this pandemic, I have never seen such a crisis for us as pastors to pastor our people and for our people to follow us. And it's just a reality that has occurred. None of us wanted it. None of us have looked for it. None of us have ultimately created that. It's a reality of being in a pandemic in this time and this age. But it has ravaged pastors and their relationship with their sheep. It's been a horrible 13 months as a pastor. And I'm sure you the sheep would say the same thing. So if you've sinned and isolating yourself, if you've sinned and over, I'm not talking about quarantining, I'm not talking about specific things, I'm talking about emotionally and spiritually isolating yourself, then repent of that. But more than that, rather than just be ashamed about it because I'm bringing it up, we're, this is easing, family of God. The pandemic is easing. We're able to come together more and more. You need to get under shepherds. Trust trustworthy men and women who will pastor you. Trust our res group leaders here at res. Res group is about our priests making sure that everyone is being pastored since they can't pastor everyone individually as they would love to do in a church of 1,200. So get into res groups. Get into shepherds that are there who are being shepherded by other shepherds who are being shepherded by our pastors and our priests and our deacons. This is very important that you can name with people face in, their, in, in your mind who that is. I have two men who pastor me brilliantly in a very personal way. And I'm so thankful for both of those men. You're going to see them up on this, uh, the, the wall in just a moment, Archbishop Ben Kawashi. He's one of those men that pastors me. But I'm so thankful for all the good shepherds that surround me all the time. Yes, there are many hired hands, but can I tell you, from pure lived experience, there are many good shepherds. So many good shepherds. And it's very likely that's not going to come up in your news feed. Hey, let's celebrate good shepherds in America. You're probably not going to read that, but it's true. I want to celebrate one of our good shepherds today. I want to celebrate Father Brett and Julie Crawl. They're going to go on sabbatical starting tomorrow. They're good shepherds. They have the courage to love others. Father Brett may be the most patient man in America. Sometimes he makes me feel very impatient with his patience, and then I have to repent. He's very patient. Very long-suffering. Persevering. He and Julie. Thank you for pastoring my family. Thank you for pastoring my children. Pastoring me. It's good shepherds like this, of which we have dozens in our movement that I call you to trust as you trust the Good Shepherd. Brothers and sisters, who's leading you? Who's guiding you? Who's pastoring you? Jesus, the Good Shepherd, and those Good Shepherds who trust in Him and give you His Word. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. 
As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.